Hello, Bettys. Welcome to the show. Before we get to our guest today, I just wanted to let you know that we have such an epic list of guests coming up in March. We are talking about menopause. We're talking about autoimmunity. We're talking about muscle building. We're talking about recovery practices. And I don't want you to miss any of it. Even if you are listening to the podcast, you may not necessarily be subscribed. So you're going to have to manually go into your podcast app and press play. I would love for you to hit that subscribe button so that you are getting the podcast as they are released. It's going to make me oh so happy to know that you are a subscriber of the pod. You are officially a Betty in the Bettyverse. And of course, you are never going to miss an episode and be the first to know when it drops. Thank you so much. Estrogen is our mental clarity, is our ability to multitask, it's our verbal processing. When you go through perimenopause and you lose that, your brain starts to act differently. Welcome to Better with Dr. Stephanie. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This show is for women just like you with a deep desire for learning, self-actualization, and becoming more of who you already are. Every week, we are going to deconstruct how to build better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families. I'll be giving you access to world-class thought leaders to help give you the tools to answer this question. What are the simplest things that you can do today to get better tomorrow? I am part geek, part magic, and want to share the juiciest questions, topics, and often taboo conversations that I think I've always wanted to be a part of and I wanted to be having. So let's get better together. Ladies and germs, welcome back to Better with Dr. Stephanie. Tis me, your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. And this week, I bring you a conversation with Dr. Mindy Pels, who is becoming a favorite on the podcast. I must say, this is her third appearance on the show. I always have such a wonderful time with her. And today we are speaking about her new book, Fast Like a Girl. So we are going to be talking all about the components of fasting. If you are a woman, we spend a lot of time talking about fasting and diet culture for teens and how the menstrual cycle in particular tends to be a little bit more complicated for our beautiful daughters in when they are 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, how to navigate that if you don't necessarily want your daughter to be on the pill. And we talk about the changing, the ever changing um, menstrual cycle through the arc of a woman's life. So we talk about the teenage years, 20s and 30s, perimenopause, and then menopause, and then how we can apply fasting differently in each of those stages of life. So there's a review of the menstrual cycle and how we can fast differently within the menstrual cycle. So in the follicular phase, in the luteal phase, and we get into some of the particulars around um, why fasting is beneficial for women, how it differs from some of the um, more traditional, we'll say, male approaches to fasting. Overall, a very robust discussion. If you have heard Mindy uh, on the show before, you know that we have great rapport. We always are laughing and giggling <laughs> like two like two teenagers really i always enjoy her company and we have a very similar through line in that we want to be helping to recognize that female physiology and the response to an intervention, a stimulus like fasting is going to be different for women in general, but then getting a little bit more granular than just a nebulous term like woman, uh, where a woman is in her 
you know, what in terms of her age, how that might change things in terms of in terms of a whole different host of factors. So I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Mindy. I sure did. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Mindy Pels. I am a huge fan of the Bio Optimizers Magnesium Breakthrough. It has seven forms of magnesium, which is going to help to transform your stress and your performance and your recovery and your sleep to the next level. I'm often asked like, well, what are the types of magnesium we should be looking for? So there's magnesium chelate and citrate and bisglycinate and malate, sucrosomial, taurate and orotate. They have various effects on the body. Bisglycinate, probably the most bioavailable and most absorbable. Malate, it's found naturally in fruits, helps with migraines. Chronic pain has been shown to help improve depression. Magnesium citrate uh, helps with arterial stiffness. It helps with maintaining a healthy weight. Magnesium chelate is important for muscle building, recovery and health, the list goes on and on. You're basically getting them all in one supplement. Each supplement itself is 500 milligrams of magnesium, which I feel is such a great dosage as a great baseline for most women. I have found a beautiful medium of actually cycling my magnesium. So I actually will take one or two of these. So I'm either getting 500 milligrams or up to a gram of magnesium, depending on where I am in my cycle. So head on over to biooptimizers.com forward slash better and use code better for 10% off of any order, but make sure that the magnesium breakthrough is in your cart. Don't be fooled by the frigid temperatures. Keeping hydrated in the wintertime is super important. In colder temperatures, we sweat more due to a higher metabolic demand of trying to maintain a core body temperature. We lose more fluids and electrolytes through our urine. We lose more water through respiration and just general breathing. And our skin dries out in the wintertime as well. We are a ski family, and over this winter, we have been using Elementee's Chocolate Medley. The chocolate chai is absolutely incredible with some boiling water, a splash of milk, and my kids love the chocolate mint with some hot water. This is our apres ski. We cozy up with Element Hot After Hours on our cross-country trails. Now, for a limited time, you too can get the Element Tea Chocolate Medley and enjoy them hot as I have been doing with this exclusive insider bundle for you. When you buy three boxes of any flavor, it doesn't have to be the chocolate, it can be any of the flavors that they offer, you are going to get the fourth box free. If you head over to drinkelement.com forward slash Dr. Estima, you'll see that exclusive offer at the bottom of the page. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And tell me which of the chocolate, Melody, you love the best. Dr. Mindy Pels, this is, is this your, tr- is this the third appearance on the better show? I think it might be. Oh my gosh. I, I think feel you're like a celebrity then. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you for having me three times. I think there's you, Dr. Dale Bredesen. I think it's you too. You have the most appearances on the show. So I, I wow. hand you over the virtual chalice. Uh, <laughs> congratulations. I only, I mean, I, I try to only have conversations with people that I really respect uh, and that I really find that their body of work is making an impact on the world. And of course you very easily fit that category. So welcome back. Oh, thank you for having me. I, I feel like I need a crown. 
Yes, I'm going to send you one. Not a chalice. Yeah. It's too early in the morning. Maybe a crown could be good. But yeah, no, the you know what? The feeling's mutual. Like at just the way that your brain thinks through health is so synergistic the way to the way I think it through. So it's yeah, of all as you know, being out there doing the receiver of podcast interviews, it's really nice when you get two like minds geeking out on Absolutely. the same sub- subject together. Absolutely. And we are getting together now, not for another AMA, although that will happen in the future, I'm sure. But this is all about your new book, Fast Like a Girl. Yep, it yeah. is. I know. I'm really, I'm really excited for it to get out into the world. Um, yeah, it's you know what's really cool about it is twofold. I felt like there needed to be a manual where we laid out some of the longer fasts. So there's six different length fasts um, and time those to a woman's cycle, but really dive into the research on it. So the first half of the book is all the research on it and then matching that research to hormones. This is a discussion that's just not being had, as you know, um, enough. And so it's nice to have it. It'll now all be in one spot. Love that. All right. So let's just get right to the heart of it. Why do we need to fast like women? Why do you have to fast like a girl and not like a guy? What is the what is the difference? Can you explain to us um, where, uh, where? Well, I mean, the inspiration for the book, but why can't why can't we fast like everybody else? Yeah. And so the the easiest answer to that is our sex hormones. Let's just start there. You know, we've got estrogen, progesterone and testosterone. Yes, men have some of the they have a lot of testosterone. They have, uh, you know, a lot of or some estrogen, a little bit, a little tiny bit of progesterone, but they um, they're, they're, it doesn't drive them. Testosterone really drives men. And we have the impact of estrogen and progesterone. And the way I look at them is they're like sisters that come from the same family, but their personalities are vastly different. And so when it comes to fi- to fasting, we need to treat them very differently. And as you and I have talked about, we need to treat the way we eat differently when these two hormones come in. We need to treat the way we work out, the way we our social calendar. There's so many reasons why these two hormones almost need exact opposite lifestyles. Um, and so when it comes to fasting, that was the whole premise of the book is let's talk about how those two hormones need to be treated differently. Even though they're both sex hormones, they have major differences in how they like to be treated. Yeah, I, I agree with this wholeheartedly. And I love that you've written a book on this um, as well, because I think one of the one of the things that I've, I've talked about in the past is like men really are like the sun and women are like the moon, right? So men kind of cycle through all of their hormones about every 24 hours or so, whereas yeah. we take a full, well, you know, give or take a couple of days, we, we go through a lunar phase almost. So it's like 29, you know, the lunar phase is 29 and a half days that, you know, of course is the average menstrual cycle for most women as well. So we kind of go through all of the different permutations, highs and lows of our estrogen, as you're saying, the progesterone, the testosterone through this 29 or so day cycle. So let's just start there, walk us through how this ebbs and flows, and then let's overlay that with how we want to be thinking about estrogen and progesterone, because there's different peaks, obviously, through the menstrual cycle, where we see peaks of estrogen, where we see peaks of uh, progesterone, and then how we might differ our fasting to match that. Yeah, it's such a good point. And I, you know what? I As you were talking, I, I just want this is one of my big cries for women is I want us to start to see that our emotions, our behaviors, 
the way that we show up in life is going to vastly change in this 29-day period that you're talking about. It's really interesting when you break that down and you go, oh, so when estrogen comes in, I might be feel a little more outgoing. I might have a little more mental clarity. But then when she goes away and progesterone comes in, I just want to sit on the couch. Like that discussion is so important for us to understand because we're we're meant to be a little emotionally wild. Let's we're actually start there. Let's start there. That is such an important point because I think that for, I mean, at least my experience growing up, uh, it's sort of been like, oh, she's on the, she, it must right. be that time of month. It's like this sort of derogatory uh, comment on a woman going through some of these cycles. And I think that, you know, to your point, I don't think a lot of women actually realize that they're going to feel different, you know, when estrogen is high, let's say, versus when it's low, when progesterone is high versus when it's low. Let's let's start there because th- that is actually really juicy. If people, if there's like one takeaway, I would say honor, you know, and for, you know, I, I know that you're going to explain this really beautifully, but if you can understand the ebbs and flows of your mood, your behavior, your your receptivity to sex, like, you know, your sleep, like all of these things are influenced by this. So walk us through how estrogen and progesterone affect our moods, our behaviors, our emotional state. Do you want me to do it in terms of like the cycle or just talk about the head uh, or each one individually? Oh, well, Why don't I do each one? I'll yeah. do each one individually yeah, and then we'll go through way. the cycle. Yeah, yeah, let's so, do it like okay. that. Okay, so let's start with the estrogen. You know what? Here's what I, and, and you know what's really interesting is as a 52-year-old woman who has been watching her hormones naturally decline, because that's what's supposed to happen as you go through perimenopause, I've started, I've really got to understand these hormones from a behavior standpoint, because when they're gone, you go, wait a second, I don't have the capacity to do X, Y, and Z anymore. Why is that? So with estrogen, estrogen is our mental clarity, is our ability to multitask. It's our verbal processing. Um, It really is the key hormone for brain function is is a big piece that I want to highlight. Because when you go through perimenopause and you lose that, your brain starts to act differently. So if you're a cycling woman to understand that it's really important when estrogen is high, your brain is going to be working at her best and you're probably going to be feeling the most outward. You're going to want to go and hang out with people. So you might feel a lot more social. And if we time that to the cycle, let's just make it simple. That's like from day one till like day 15 as estrogen is building is that we start to get more outgoing and more outgoing. I One of the things that once I really understood the cognitive uh, ability that estrogen gives us is that you start to see when she peaks during ovulation, we're, we're wickedly smart at that time. <laughs> like, and really creative really creative, like our brain with all that estrogen on like, let's say like day 12 of your cycle, if you want to, you know, write a book, you want to do a podcast interview, you want to ask for a raise, you want to create something new in your world, like do it in ovulation. That is our superpower because estrogen is so strong. At it's that like moment. you're limitless, like Bradley Cooper yes. in Limitless. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. But but here's here's why I want to change this conversation that women are having is how many times do we like say, oh, my hormones, oh, my hormones, my hormones are making me feel this way. My hormones are making me feel th- that way. But we don't really understand why. 
Well, guess what? Estrogen makes you ridiculously capable. It's like, to me, we should start looking at ovulation like we're putting a freaking superhero cape on. And we're like, okay, world, what do you need to me to do? It, I, I even have gone to thinking as deeply as if we put a bunch of ovulating women together in the in one room, they could probably she could all of them combined could probably solve all the world's problems. It's like the new that. world order war yeah. room. <laughs> yeah. Right? The new, oh, my that. God. I love that. Right. <laughs> yeah. But but women don't even know that. Like I like right. I had a beautiful conversation with a man who was telling me how he was struggling with his teenage daughter. And I asked him, did he know her cycle? And he she, he was like, no, why would I know that? And I'm like, well, you should probably ask your wife and you should probably know your daughter's cycle. And if there's a conflict for you to to resolve with her, I'd wait till she's in ovulation. And I would have that discussion with her. If you're trying to resolve that conflict the week before her period, you're going to find a very, especially in a teenager, you're going to find it really hard to get through. That's the conversation we need to change. Absolutely. And so in the book, you talk about foods that support estrogen and we'll get to the, we'll get to progesterone in a moment, but just as, you know, continuing on this line of thought, when we're thinking about for our beautiful teenagers, right. And and for teenagers, I have a, I have a, you know, a special place in my heart for them because we, I think as, as mothers, like all the mothers that are listening to the show, it is our duty to shorten the learning curve for our teenagers because now we have this, this is why we do the podcast, right? It's like for you to heal your own stuff, but also to pass it on, like pass it on to your daughters, because I guarantee you, they're not talking about this in school. They're not talking about the emotional flux. They're not talking about the differences. And I mean, they may like throw up a chart and be like, Hey, this is a menstrual cycle. And then, you know, it's maybe it's like a half hour, if that conversation, but they're not talking about all the nuances that it has on cognition, as you were mentioning on confidence on our, you know, our, what I often will say, like our ability to people, right? You're more extroverted, as you were saying, when we have more estrogen, you're more creative, your vernacular is much more, uh, you know, sophisticated, let's say under the influence of estrogen. So what are some foods that we can think about? um, And maybe we can pull in a couple of other hormones here. I know you talk about insulin and the relationship between insulin and estrogen um, in the book. How can we support estrogen function for our beautiful teenagers. And then maybe we can kind of talk about some of the other different arcs, uh, different uh, women in in different stages of their life. For example, like a cycling woman, let's say a woman who's in perimenopause, what she might be needing to consider differently. And then of course, you know, you're going to get the question about the menopausal women. Anytime I talk about cycling women, they're like, what about me? I'm not cycling. So let's also, let's also include our beautiful menopausal women in this, in this conversation as well. For sure. Uh, Yeah. I love that. And definitely when we talk about estrogen, we have to include the postmenopausal women because they've just been through it. So, and the loss of it. Um, here's the best way that let's just try to keep it as simple as possible. When you're, when you're building estrogen, you want to keep glucose and insulin down. Estrogen does really well with keto. And so if you love that low carb life, it works for you. Let's keep her, let's keep insulin down. Now, if we put that in terms of our teenagers, you know, what I, if I had, this is something I've been thinking a lot recently about is if I had like a 16 year old in front of me right now, 
I would first teach her how to pull up an app on her phone so she could track her cycle. And I would say, you know what? All the cakes, the cookies, the processed foods that you may enjoy, they're going to be the most damaging to your hormones that first 15 days of your cycle, but definitely the first 10 as estrogen is building. So in that scenario, let's just get the bad oils out. Let's get the 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 breads and the pastas and all that, the cakes, the cookies. Let's just take those out the first 10 days to give estrogen a chance to come in in the best version of her that she possibly can. Great. And I think for teenagers as well, the one thing I like to always counsel moms and even the teenagers that I, that I speak to is that you're kind of learning how to ride a bike. You know, this is like yes. a, it's like a new skill, right? Menstruating like a goddess. You're not quite as proficient at it yet. And so there's going to be months where you're going to get very extreme fluctuations. So to your point, if you're able to start tracking your cycle, that's number one, by, yeah. far and wide, like data over feelings, like get the data, understand at least the, just get like the length of the cycle, how long you yeah. bleed, a little bit of the quality of your blood, like what it looks like beginning of the period to the end of the period, that kind of thing. And then you can start focusing it on some of the further nuances that we've been discussing, like your emotional state. How do you feel? And, you know, apps like no affiliation, but I really love Clue. I do too. That's yeah. the one I, that's the one I use. And it, it gives you the ability to track your cervical mucus, your basal body temperature, your mood, how you slept, like all of these different things. Um, and over time you can get a really nice picture of how you cycle and how you feel at different stages of the cycle. But for a teenager, just know that sometimes it's, it's not going to be perfect because you're just no kind of getting this handle of menstruating. So I love this idea of like restricting the glucose, at least, or the carbohydrate intake uh, in the beginning of the cycle. So that follicular phase, let's call it like day, you know, day one of your, you know, you know, when you start bleeding, let's say up to about uh, approximately around ovulation. Um, And then how does that change in the second half of the cycle, if at all? Yeah. So, so couple of, I, I want to make sure I just comment on the teenage thing, because this is, I, I'm hoping that there's some younger audience listening and I'm hoping that women that maybe have teenage daughters are sharing this because, um, that single act of tracking your cycle and getting to know your moods is so important because you're getting to know yourself and you want to know that the hormones are, are, are giving you certain feelings. And I think that's part of the discussion that's not happening. And those feelings are okay. Normal. And that they're normal. they're normal. And those of us that have been cycling for years want you to know they're normal, not to villainize them. So I just want to make sure that I didn't miss that point. Actually, let me, Uh, can I build on that just for one minute? Because one of the, one of the things that I also see, especially like this, my 16 year old, 17 year old girls, 18 year old girls, when they do have wonky cycles, let's say, and they tell mom and mom doesn't listen to your podcast or my podcast, they go to the medical doctor and like, you know what we should do to help you with this? Mm. We should put you on the pill. And then this woman, this six, this young girl, this young woman, this 18 year old, 17 year old, whatever woman now d- is robbed in my opinion, in my uh, opinion of her ability to get to know herself and to actually, if there is an issue, uh, to actually fix it. Right. Uh, there does tend to be, and I, I suppose uh, I had Nat Kringudis on the, on the show 
gosh, it's, I, I got to get her back on, but, uh, you know, maybe a year or so ago. And she was saying uh, around like that 16 to 18 year old time, they kind of look PCOS-y. Like they yeah. kind of yeah. look like they might have skip cycles. They're getting like tons of ha- like hormonal acne, like, you know, all this kind of, so they go to the doctor and they're like, Hey, we have, you know, this issue. She's not, she has a missed period, whatever. And they're like, well, you're 18. You're probably sexually active. Let's put you on the pill. And, I will not mince my words here uh, when I say that I don't think that that's the appropriate solution, number one, and it is a form of chemical castration. And yep. I know that that's an extreme statement, no, but it is. Not. And I can I can justify that um, with tons of data because, uh, you know, ironically, of course, when you get on the pill, what ends up happening? You, you know, paradoxically, you have no more libido. You're like, oh, great. I'm on the pill. I can have tons and tons of sex. Well, you don't feel like it anymore. It has deleterious effects on your brain. Women take more risks when they are on synthetic hormones, like the progestin. I know we're off on a topic mm. here, but I'm just, let, no, allow no. me my soapbox for ah, a moment. No, I love it. Yeah. Like you, you tend, women tend to take uh, make more risky decisions when they are on progestin, which is a synthetic form. We haven't gone to progesterone yet, but we'll, this will make sense in a minute when Dr. Mindy talks about progesterone versus natural progesterone. It gobbles up your B vitamins. It gobbles up your coenzyme uh, Q10. And you tend to, this is something that I learned from uh, Jolene Brighton, who was also on the show uh, a while ago, is that it messes up your major histocompatibility complex, meaning that when we are choosing mates, from an evolutionary perspective, we want to choose someone who is going to be as gen- like the most genetically diverse to us, right? We don't want to choose people that have the same, like we don't want to like mate with our cousins, right? <laughs> hopefully <laughs> not, not. Hopefully not. Okay. <laughs> hopefully so, not you know, yeah. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully not. Um, but what happens when you're on the pill is you actually start choosing, like it messes up your, you know, whether it's pheromones or, you know, what, you know, your, um, your major histocompatibility uh, complex, which is located uh, and it's connected to the um, the olfactory nerve. And so you end up choosing mates. This is so gross, but you end up choosing mates that are more genetically similar to you than dissimilar to you. So a lot of women uh, will say that when they get, let's say they've been with a mate, like they've been with a partner for whatever it is, like 10 years, and she's been on the pill that whole time. And then she gets off the pill because now they're ready to have kids. Once she gets off the pill, she's like, ew, this guy is disgusting. Like I'm not into him. So (laughs) that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen to everyone, but that is not something I guarantee that is not being discussed in, in the side effects and the possibility. So you really, and then not to mention, we're not even talking about fertility and how it can impact fertility and how it shuts off the brain, gonadal access. Like we're not even getting into like how, like the chemical castration piece, but be very wary about putting a 16 year old on the pill. Yes. Yes. Okay. And oh my God, thank That was beautiful, beautifully said. And I just want to point out that if you're 16 and you go on the pill, 
what's now happened is there's something else controlling that HPO access. Like your, your brain and your ovaries are being manipulated by an exogenous source. So there's never an internal knowing of your own hormones. Right. And to your point, that knowing gives us this strong intuition, like, Hey, this person I want to mate with this, or I don't want to mate with, but it also gives us that, especially estrogen, estrogen can be very intuitive, um, and give us that superpower where we know when something's right for us and when something's not right for us. I even recently did some research on, uh, the matriarchal society that existed in the BC years. And in those years, women, the, the society was really a more, uh, more highlighted and driven by women. And one of the things that, that was really held as a powerful attribute is intuition. And yet now, if we fast forward to this patriarchal world that we're living in, in this chemical castrated scenario, and then you put a, a phone in a kid's hand who's judging themselves against every other woman on Instagram, and right. you've completely lost the ability for these teenage girls to be able to, to discover themselves. If there's too much outside manipulation. They don't even know who they are. And that, to me, has to stop. I could not agree more with that. I mean, there's some uh, there's some reverence that I have for the way that we grew up. Like we grew, I grew up without social media, and thank I mean, God, thank, thank God, <laughs> thank God. Oh my God, because I was such a tool. I was such a tool. Yeah. Like if if that stuff was captured on video, like I know girls who, let's say, they go to parties and then you know maybe they have a little bit too much to drink, and then everyone's got a phone, right? Everyone's got a phone. They're taking every single, you know moment that you've messed up and then they share it with their friends and then they share it with the school right you know down the street and like the entire neighborhood knows that you had a bad night you made a bad choice and I feel bad for these girls because I think part of you know the experience of being a teenager is in some ways being finding your own way and that means making mistakes and being learning from the mistakes. But now you have these girls and guys too. This is not just a, you know, like everyone's taking videos of everybody doing stupid things and they're not allowed to make, they're so scared to be themselves or they're so scared to take risks because the catastrophe that can follow that, which is like everyone on social media knowing, you know, they had a, you know, whatever they did, whatever at the party the night before, um, It's so it's so great. So I, um, you know, it's hard raising a teenager today. I will say that. So, you know, whether you have whether you or your daughter uh, is on the pill, like we're not judging, like there's no judgment here. Like, you you know, this is all said with love and in the power for the power of informed consent, because that's what we're trying to do. Empowered women try to empower other women. So once you know and you make the decision, yes, this is a better decision for my daughter to be on the pill versus not. Good. You've made it from a place of knowing versus, oh, you know, she just has a wonky period. Let's just like the doctor said so. And they didn't mention anything like this. So let's just do it. That's not informed consent. Informed consent is like, I know the risks. I've evaluated it. But based on who she is, this is going to be the best choice for her right now. Yeah. Yeah. I love that approach. And I agree. This is not especially if it's if you're no mommy guilt here. Yeah, Yeah. This is this is really to me 
um, the moment in which we need to stop letting our healthcare system give us these one-size-fits-all answers for what are hormonal challenges that could be fixed with lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So, and and as I have a 22-year-old daughter, I know what it's like to have to try to figure out and navigate a good birth control situation for your teenage daughter. You, I mean, ultimately, you just don't want her to get pregnant. But we have to also look at what is that birth control decision going to do for her as a 25-year-old and as a 35-year-old because what we're doing, and this is the same thing with the postmenopausal woman, when we throw medications to manipulate hormones, we have to ask ourselves, what's the 10, 20, 30-year consequence to that decision? And that's the conversation that's not being had. Great. All right. So I think we've covered estrogen and teenagers. Let's say we got on our soapbox. So, okay. So you asked me before that, what I thought about the back half of the cycle. And then, so why don't I do, um, uh, the back half where estrogen comes in. And then I do want to talk about ovulation because I have some new thoughts on ovulation that I want to walk through with you. Mm. Um, so I think we have to remember that after ovulation, you know, estrogen hits her peak and then all of a sudden there's sort of this crash down of hormones. And one thing we have to remember is that when hormones go high, there is the qualities that they give us are going to be, uh, really highlighted in our life, like in ovulation, we know estrogen has this ability to have really improve our mental clarity. But then when she goes away, that goes away too. There's this sort of crash down. And then in the back half, progesterone comes up. Well, what's so striking to me about progesterone and why I I wish my 25-year-old self had, had appreciated her a little bit more is that progesterone makes us chill out. I mean, in the most basic sense, progesterone co- brings our energy down. We it, we we need glucose to be higher. I think this is a really important point and why fast like a girl was so needed because this would be the worst time to be fasting. You need glucose to be high to make progesterone. Your body's naturally more insulin resistant. You're naturally more inner. You you want to sit on the couch. We shouldn't be as women in a perfect scenario. We shouldn't be pushing through that progesterone period. We should be slowing and recovering and bringing life down a little bit more instead of pushing through like the rushing women uh, of our society obviously are doing. And then on the backside of that, causing so many problems. So I look at estrogen as like the the social the most outgoing person at a party and progesterone's like the woman sitting in the corner that's like, hey, you want to come talk to me? Pull up a chair. Let's have a let's have a deep chat. That's how I see those two. Whereas estrogen's more like, let's turn on music, let's dance, let's have fun. They're just massively different mood behaviors. Love that. Yeah. I I think I I'm it's like extroverted and introverted, right? Like yes. estrogen helps you kind of people and talk to people and be at, like have the dancing and all the fun and stuff. And progesterone's like, let's have a one-on-one conversation. Yes. At, you know, let's go for dinner and really connect and or maybe stay at home and connect, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, love that. Okay. So we want, more, so in the luteal phase of the cycle, so post ovulation is when we see progesterone rise and you're saying that we are naturally 
and not just you, many other experts uh, are saying that we are naturally more insulin resistant during this time. Um, And the insulin resistance is being driven. Is it being driven by cortisol? Is it being driven just by nature of like the flux of the hormones? Like where is that coming from? And then when you're thinking about manipulating the food, so we want to be having what kinds of like, I I know you're not going to say you should be having more Ben and Jerry's and (laughs) and French fries. So what kind of, how should we be thinking about increasing our, uh, how should we be thinking about changing our macronutrients, let's say to match that, that environment? Yeah. So, so here's the first thing to, to realize, like if you ever doubt how powerful your body is, your body is so smart that it purposely makes itself insulin resistant so that glucose can come up. So there's some, some sugars there to help to make progesterone. So it, that's naturally happening. But what it might feel like to you is it feels like I want to sit on the couch and have a box of pizza and a tub of ice cream. And then I want to bitch about it. And then I'm going to call my closest girlfriend and we're going to bitch together about it. And then I'm going to tell everybody to stay away from me because I'm PMSing. Well, if we translate that into if your bo- if progesterone could speak to you, she would say, hey, could you give me some good glucose? So things like I really love root vegetables during this time. Like let's go to the squashes. Like I, you could just smother me in some butternut squash during that time <laughs> and maybe give me a, a sweet potato um, to top it off and I would be so happy. And part of that is because what you're doing is you're, you're giving your progesterone the nutrients she needs. So you're raising glucose. You're giving her the nutrients that come in these root vegetables. So lots of squashes, lots of potatoes, even looking at, I I dove into looking at tropical fruits and citrus fruits. These are great for progesterone building. But now we have this whole movement of keto, keto women and they're not like honoring the fact that you should not be going keto. I mean, everything I just told you, those are not keto rich foods which is really hard for women to understand because keto helped her lose weight in the first half of her cycle. But now if she's doing keto in the back half of her cycle, what's happening is we're seeing hair loss and missed cycles and maybe even some weight gain, sleep problems. Yeah. I see it in sleep. I see the sleep because progesterone really does help with sleep, right? It's, you know, through allopregnanolone, we help with the activation of the GABA receptor, which helps us chill out, as you were saying, and feel calm and all of that. Um, But when we see women that are pushing themselves so much, they're like, no, I'm going to white knuckle this. I'm going to do keto because that's what I said I was going to do. It's it's the sleep that I find is, is really affected. And really under the influence of progesterone, this should be the best sleep of the cycle. Like you should be when you're, if you have an aura ring, or even if you're just subjectively, you know, checking in with how refreshed you are, how long, if you woke up or whatever overnight, this should be the best part of the cycle for sleep for you. So if it's not, that means that we are either not managing the stress, which I want, I want to dive into with you in a moment, uh, or maybe the, the composition position of the diet needs to be altered somewhat. Yeah. And, you know, I think the first like whack on the side of the head that most women don't realize, I mean, I know it took me some time to figure this out is that there's a different eating for the front half of the cycle compared to the back half of the cycle. Mm-hmm. Like I, in, you know, ninth grade when the PE teacher stood up and said, you got your period now, you can get pregnant. 
Uh, there was no discussion of, and by the way, you might want to eat different during the, the cycle. But I mean, you're really looking at vastly uh, 180 degree difference. And yet nowhere in the cycle do your hormones say, please eat processed foods with a lot of bad oils and sugars. Doesn't say that, but those root vegetables are so powerful. And mag- oh, chocolate, can we just talk about chocolate for a second? Let's talk about chocolate. It deserves <laughs> its own category of conversation. Tell it us about does. chocolate. <laughs> it does. It's got so rich in magnesium and it you know you crave it the week before your cycle. That's not because you're undisciplined. You're craving it because your body's saying give me a nutrient I need to be able to make progesterone. Yeah. But we villainize it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. And I also think that there, you know, there's so many polyphenols uh, that we find in chocolates as well. And I know you talk about the three P's in your book, which we'll get to. Um, But the, when we think about chocolate, what I have found, like what I've been doing recently anyway, this is not something I've really discussed, but I'll just tell you and let me, let me know what you think. But I've been finding that in the luteal phase of my cycle, when I find myself like, I wonder what kind of chocolate we have in the pantry, I will make sure that I start, I, I've been like upping my magnesium in the evening specifically mm. to a gram in the evening. Like it's a high level, but it feels like I sleep so well. And, you know, I train a lot. I train throughout the cycle. I mean, I alter it how, how I train, but like the soreness and the muscle is better. I find my, 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 my aura rings like, girl, what are you doing? Like, you know, it's like, (laughs) look at your HRV. This is my HRV is like classically in the tank always. Like it's, it hovers around twenties, which is always, you know, never, never really a good thing. But whenever, as I've been doing this grand of magnesium, um, I will also find that I don't really care so much. And it's just in the luteal phase, just in the, cause I'm a little bit more inflamed. Like my natural tendency is to run a little estrogen dominant. So I feel in the luteal phase of my cycle. So I find that when I, when I pump up the magnesium, I'm not going, I'm not looking for the chocolate because I, as much as I like to say that I only reach for dark chocolate, sometimes I don't as human, <laughs> you know, I, I'll reach Ooh, for the truth. one, like the, the milk with the hazelnut, the one oh, that the I, milk is good. Yeah. <laughs> the milk is good. But if I'm doing the magnesium, I, I don't feel that way and I sleep better. So I feel like my inflammation, like my general systemic inflammation, which happens for me, uh, can happen for me in that second half of the cycle is much better controlled. Yeah, I think that's so well said. And I think we need to bring back chocolate as like, you know, it's a it can be a health food when yeah. you you make sure it has very little sugar in it or it has different sugars than, you know, your typical Hershey bars would have. Um, so this is not, again, go eat a bunch of Hershey bars um, yeah. uh, conversation. But the other thing I wanted to, to point out uh, for the perimenopausal women, I can tell you that as I've gone through that whole experience, that I really got to know when I might need that one gram of magnesium to your point, which is in that back half, all of a sudden two things would happen to me. One, it would be like 10 o'clock in the morning and I'm, I would all of a sudden be like, I've got to eat. And I was maybe only 12 to 13 hours into a fast. Oh, that's now, a good point. Yes. Like I can go, like if you put me at the right hormonal time, I can do a three-day water fast, no problem. I've trained my body to do that. But if you put it in that luteal phase or even like even like day 19 before I'm really about to go into that, that week before, I, I can't do it. 
I can't do it. And this is what we saw on my social media platform is all these men were like, yeah, I'm, I'm rocking these longer fast. And these women were like, some of them were like, I'm doing really well, but my hair is falling out. And some of them are like, I can't even go 12 hours. And when I started to look at where they were in their cycle, it was that back half after ovulation can be the hardest time to go into the fasted state. I am incredibly bullish on sauna as a therapy for recovery, heart health, and overall aging well. I personally decided on an infrared sauna from Sunlighten because of the range of far wavelengths and near infrared wavelengths that it offers. Saunas help with detoxification and rejuvenation to rid your body of toxins. It helps with heart health by improving circulation, reducing blood pressure, and helping keep the arteries supple. It helps with muscle recovery by easing the tension and soreness to recover faster. And of course, stress reduction with the warmth and the relaxation of sitting in a sauna it's crucial for hormonal balance and achieving a state of well-being necessary for a strong physique and a strong mind. If you visit sunlighten.com slash better and use code better to get a discount. That is sunlighten, S-U-N-L-I-G-H-T-E-N.com slash B-E-T-T-E-R and use code better at checkout. My observation lines up exactly with yours. I have a little nuance there. Tell me if I'm off. I find that I can do a more, a longer fast, like longer than 24 hours in my bleed week. So when I'm uh, on my period, it's a week one. And then right after I ovulate, I can punch in like a little quickie because (laughs) because estrogen kind of drops, you know, like kind of temporarily before she comes back up again. So I, and I always know when I ovulate, I always know. I mean, if you, if you know your cervical fluid, you will always know kind of when you're ovulating. Uh, I can feel it sometimes I can, I have just this weird sense. I'm like, I just yeah, like, that's there, amazing. there it was. No, it, just, it just got that's popped. That's not yeah. weird. That's your, that's your hormonal intuition. Oh, own thanks. that. That's, that's right. That's you know amazing. what? Thank you for reframing that for me. Yes. Yeah. I have to own that a little bit more because I'm like, oh, I just ovulated. It was a right ovary. It just happened now. That's uh, so, amazing. But See, the, it, <laughs> if we lived in a matriarchal society, we would all be like, oh my God, you're a, you're, you're a queen. Oh, Instead, we're like, oh, that's kind of weird. <laughs> I know. And it's so funny that I pre-framed it that way. I have to yeah. like just give myself a little smack. But yeah, I I was like, oh, I'm no, I'm a little weird. Like I remember even I think I've shared this with you before privately or on the show. I can't remember. But I remember the moment I got pregnant uh, with my both both children. But like I knew the date. I knew exactly the moment of conception. I was like, oh, yeah, they just like I just oh felt it. I just awesome. <laughs> yeah. And that's why when my midwife was like, oh, uh, your son's going to be born on this date. I was like, no, I got pregnant December 13th at 12. Like it's going to (laughs) be like, it's going to be this, it's going to be 40 weeks and it's going to be this date. And like to like, you know, true to my, my own word or intuition or whatever he was born. Like they were, my midwife was like, oh, he's like a week late. I'm like, no, he's not. I got pregnant December 13th. So if we count 40 weeks from that, he's going to be born between the 17th and the 19th. And he was born on the 18th of September. So they were like, oh, we're going to have to induce you. I'm like, you stay away from my cervix because he is going to be born in a week. Amazing. Amazing. See, but this is that that is literally like the power of a woman's intuition. And that's what we've got to bring back. And we have so lost that art of understanding our body. 
And to me, the whole premise of Fast Like a Girl is learning this rhythm, this natural rhythm that we may have never been taught. Yeah. And so I, you, you just, I mean, I already thought you were amazing, but you just went (laughs) up a couple notches for me. (laughs) Yes. Aiming to be Mindy's favorite. Check. (laughs) That was incredible. I'm like, I'm not worthy. That was amazing. (laughs) All right. So we have, so we have foods now. So like just trying to get on, because I could talk, like we can go on so many different tangents. I know we could. So we've been talking about how we might uh, modulate food, let's say, over the... So we, we've we been talking like ketobiotic, which is something that you talk about, uh, you know, having more of a ketogenic or carb-restricted uh, macronutrient composition, let's say, in the follicular phase, a higher carbohydrate content with the root vegetables, as you were saying, uh, in the luteal phase of the cycle. You wanted to, I wanted to make sure that we come back to ovulation because you were saying I have a couple yes. of new thoughts on ovulation. Let's talk about that. And then we can, we can talk a little bit about how we might change I know you've been hinting at it, but different fasts as well, like how we can fast differently. Yeah. Yeah, And I can go through what I call the fasting cycle in the book. Yeah. Yeah. So here's what I'm noticing in ovulation and is the general idea is that when our hormones go high, we can often get a toxic dump. And I know this from what I've seen in perimenopausal years. And I, and this is how I even came to understand toxicity, the, the intersection be to, between toxicity and hormones. But it's that up of a hormone, the real elevation, and then the drop that can release things like heavy metals, like lead from your bones, um, some of the more like environmental toxins that are stored in our fat and our tissues. Those big hormonal jumps is when we see those get released. So I, knowing that I've been really thinking when they're on the, when they're on the drop, sorry to interrupt you, but when they're coming right down. at the peak and then as it's dropping down, cause okay. it's that, that's what just like progesterone drops and it signals the, the a shedding of the uterine lining. Mm-hmm. What I see at ovulation is as estrogen drops, we see this pouring out of uh, toxins into somebody's system. Mm. And it's specifically, I see it in late thirties, early forties as a woman is entering perimenopause. So I have been playing with less keto during that ovulation window, because when you're in keto, you're also in a repair phase and sometimes neurons are repairing. Sometimes there's autophagy. So there's a dumping of toxins already out of the cells. So if we come in strong with keto during ovulation, we may, if we have a high toxic load, we may start to get more of the adverse reactions like I'm holding on to weight, I have a rash, I maybe have some brain fog, I'm irritable. Those are things that normally shouldn't happen at ovulation. At ovulation, you should feel like Wonder Woman. You shouldn't feel like you want to burn everybody's house down. Mm. And in when I see women not doing well in ovulation, I actually make sure she's not fasting as much and that she's going more into what I call hormone feasting foods. That's a new discovery that I've had in the last two years. That's fabulous. And that actually lines up exactly with my own recommendations around ovulation for different reasons. So I never thought about it from a toxin perspective, but I always thought about it as preserving ovulation. Because Mm. if you're fasting too aggressively, or if you're doing, if you're not giving, you know, in that, in that second week, we have estrogen and testosterone, estrogen and testosterone rising, as you were saying. Um, And so if you're fasting too aggressively, or if you're restricting too much, you're 
you know, the mitochondria in your oocyte is going to be like, there's no food here. Right. Like, we can't, she can't get pregnant right now. So that's kind of been my line of thinking around tamping down on the long fast pre-ovulation and then also in the fourth week, which kind of seems like it also is lining up with your, because we have that like peak of, of progesterone at the beginning of the fourth week, like day 19 to call it 22. And then yep. there's like a steep drop off um, from there. I've always looked at it as like just more of like systemic, like you're just systemically a bit more inflamed, a little less likely to be able to, to be able to punch out a three day fast or whatever it is. Uh, But it seems like there's also this other layer that you're proposing, which is this toxic, you know, the lead, let's say being released from the bones. And that makes sense because estrogen if we think about the role of estrogen, of course, it it stimulates osteoblasts, which are like the uh, building blocks of the like the bones that build versus osteoclasts, which are the yep. like the, the cells that break down the bone. So once you kind of remove that, uh, there's like this, you know, uh, uh, abrupt drop. Uh, at least that makes sense to me from a mechanistic point of view that now you have this osteoclastic activity that may be increasing relative to blastic activity. And then we can have this kind of release as these bone cells are being destroyed. Uh, some of the, let's say the, you know, whether it's the, uh, depending on like where the, you know, where, what type of bone is being destroyed. Um, you can have some of that release, whether it's, um, from the cancellous or the, you know, there's different types of bone, which we won't get into, but like depending on the type of bone, let's say that's being modeled or remodeled, you can certainly drop some of the stuff that's stored in there. Yeah. And, and where, and go, you know, tying all the pieces we've been talking about together is I think we have a lot of 30 year olds that are coming into these pre perimenopausal years. Perimenopause is happening a little bit earlier. And these, like, let's just take a 35 year old. It's been industry healthcare standard to put her on a birth control pill. So she comes, maybe has only been off of the birth control pill when she got pregnant and then went back on. So she comes screaming into her mid and late 30s and there's no natural rhythm. So as I'm helping these women get their natural rhythms back, I'm seeing for the first time that ovulation is really torturous for them. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't make any hormonal sense to me other than we're just getting the toxic dump that they maybe didn't get as efficiently at when they were on the pill. So it's, it's really interesting because you should not be feeling bad during ovulation. You should feel like you are at your best. And so if you are feeling bad, you got to step out of ketosis. Wonderful. All right. So let's overlay this with fasting. So we've been talking about keto, biotic, and more glucose. Fasting, not necessarily fasting aggressively in week two, let's say, and week four. And you are, uh, how, how can we fast, let's say, in the times that are hormonally uh, receptive. So let's say in that bleed week or right after estrogen starts to rise again in that luteal phase, is it like anything you feel like? Is there different types of fast that you walk through and maybe walk us through your fasting cycle and then how we might overlay that as well? Yeah. So again, I'll, I'll make it as simple as I can. What I did in the book is I laid out six different fasts and they're all based off of research and then what we have seen in our resetter community. So they go everywhere from 13 hours up to 72 hours. 
And each one of the fasts I gave, you know, I, I tried to give everything a fun name because we get so caught up in, you know, flickier, luteal. It's just like, okay, let's mTOR this and yeah, you know, yeah. repamycin <laughs> that. Yeah. Okay. I'm like, can we just make this a little more fun so everybody can understand? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so the thing to, to know is that um, each one, as we move through the cycle, there's a different time to pull out these six different fasts. They're, think of them as tools. So in from day one to day 10, this is when you start with the lowest uh, of your hormones. So all the hormones crash on that day you're bleeding. So you've got all three low. And then estrogen starts to build those 10 days. You can pick any fast you want in those 10 days. If you want to do a three-day water fast, do it in those 10 days. If you like a 24-hour fast, do it then. Like that's your time to, I called it the power phase in the book because I want you to power up on your fasting behavior. I had a a really beautiful conversation with Megan Ramos uh, last week on my podcast. And she said that she and Jason really don't, are not huge advocates for the lower length fasts. They believe you got to go into 36, 48, 72 to start to see reversal of metabolic syndrome which was really interesting. They also see, I think, some of the sickest people on the planet. Like they I do. know that Jason, yeah. I know Dr. Fung, um, you know, in his practice anyway, with uh, with with Megan, I, like they see just the most metabolically unhealthy people. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, and so and so she and I, she, you know, she did say those longer fasts are more of her specialty. Mm-hmm. But, you know, let's the the key for great hormonal health is to be metabolically flexible. So, if you're struggling with weight loss resistance, you're struggling with weight, you know, with insulin resistance, start to throw PCOS, start to throw some of those longer fasts at your body in those first 10 days. And, you know, to your point, the other period for that would be like day 16 to day, you know, 19. There's a small little window where all those hormones drop again and you can go into these longer fasts. So now you've got about 14, 15 days out of your monthly cycle that you can fast longer, but keep it within those two places. Otherwise, you're now really throwing off the rest of your hormones. Okay, so those are the two power phases. Talk about manifestation, manifestation, and the yeah. nurture phases as well. So, so ovulation, I create, I call it manifestation phase, and it was so fun because when I first created this, um, I started using it with my um, community, but then I called Carrie Jones up. And I was like, okay, here's what I'm thinking. Uh, this is what I'm going to call it. What do you think? And she, you know, she's hysterical anyways. And she was like, she's like, where's the crown? I'm in for right. it. I'll do, a, I'll do, I'll do a story about it. And I'll over <laughs> her little right. like Instagram stories are so funny. Yes. Oh, her okay. Instagram's amazing. So yeah. I'm like, I want to call it the manifestation phase because with the power phases, I want you to know you can power up on these amazing tools. With the manifestation phase, what I want you to know is you can not only can you manifest a baby at that time, but you can manifest, so, you know, a, like I, we mentioned, you can a jaw, a raise, you can manifest resolving relationships, you can manifest so many things because you have estrogen at her peak. We haven't even really talked about testosterone. We'll talk about testosterone in a moment. Yes. You have your highest amount of testosterone during that time. So maybe you want to manifest a mate. That might, your libido's up. So you're going to be, you know, more likely to be attracted to somebody during that time. And then you get a little bit of progesterone to chill you out. 
Like it should be like, we should be rocking it during this time. You're firing on all cylinders, really. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like you are at your best. So Mm -hmm. during that period, then fasting, I believe needs to stay around 15 hours if you're comfortable with that. And I've dove into the research a lot on this, and I really analyzed this time because when we look at the studies on testosterone and fasting, they're all done on men. And the statistic that we have is that- No way. Are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) That's sarcasm for those of you that are listening to on audio. You mean there's not an equivalent amount of female-led research as there is on men, Mindy? No. Right? Imagine that. Imagine that. It's really, we know, not only are we emotionally wild, but we are, I I guess, really hard to study as well. We're uninteresting to be studied. Yeah. (laughs) Except for the women health experts like you and I that are like, you know what? We're like guacamole. We're extra. We need more. And this is how you do it. Okay. Come on. Sometimes you want a little more heat. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh my God. I love that. I'm going to have to take that. Women are like guacamole. Yeah. We're just extra. Yeah. And if you leave us out on the countertop overnight, we're going to brown up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, like those memes where they're like the avocado is like almost ready, almost ready, almost ready too late. Like, you know, (laughs) we need a guacamole meme. I'm going to work on that. That's so good. That's so good. So, um, so yeah, so I like 15 hours. I think it's a pretty doable fast because, and what we do know is that, you know, 15 hours in a man improves testosterone by 1300%. The closest research I could find on testosterone in women is that it takes us about 24 hours of fasting uh, to be able to get that same result in an increase in testosterone to get to that 1300%. But to your point, we're dealing with a very sacred time of our cycle. If you haven't done a 24 hour fast, I don't want you to throw a 24-hour fast in the middle of your manifestations period. I believe 13 to 15 hours, pretty doable for most women, and that's the appropriate fast during ovulation. Don't go more than 15. The second thing, I, uh, reason I say that is once you start to get to 17 hours of fasting, you are dipping into autophagy. And now with autophagy, we get that dumping of toxins that may not be appropriate for your body. So in the book, I kept it under 15 hours. Right. Because you're about to crash, right? If you think about it with your line of thinking, like estrogen is about to dip. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so I, and yet I hear a lot of women who love fasting for weight loss. And so they, you know, a lot of the women in our community are like, but I got to step out of fasting the week before my cycle. Do I really need to not fast during ovulation? So we played with those different lengths and we found that most women can do 15 hours and not have any adverse uh, autophagy effects or detox reactions. I think what I would also say to those women is that fasting is, as you mentioned, it's a tool. There are other tools that you can use when you're, let's say the week before you start bleeding that you might use. Um, You know, there's, I know you talk about uh, protein and you talk about uh, leucine and um, isoleucine and like amino acids. Let's say like we could think about weight training. We could think there's so many other things that you can, that, that contribute to your overall body composition, because it's not only a 
about, and I know that I'm harping on this word, but it's not just the weight that we want to lose. Like we don't want to lose like brain density or bone density. We want to lose adipose tissue. So one of the ways that you can do it, of course, is with fasting and of course with modifying your macros as you've been talking about. But there are other layers to this. So when you're taking a break, let's say that day 20 in your book, you talk about day 20 to bleed this nurture phase. Maybe you don't fast that week. I know I can't fa- like I I fast for like twelve hours. That's right? about the maximum I yeah. can do that week. Um, but I also know that I can I can change the way that I'm training. I can you know maybe do some something that's going to help reduce my inflammation. I can do like a cardio work. Like there's so many other things that you can so be many. working on yeah. um, that contribute to the weight loss. So I don't want people to get stuck on this very rigid thinking where it's like, if I'm not fasting, that means I'm not progressing towards my goals. Because as we've been, the whole through line of our conversation is that we are very cyclical beings. So there's times to push and there's times to pull, right? Like pull up, like push forward, you know, power up as you were saying. And then there's times to fall back. Um, You can't be in drive and reverse at the same time. Like sometimes we need to have one or the other. Yeah. 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 And I think this is, you know, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my God, I'm super confused now. It understand this is another language that we're speaking. And this is the language, the hormonal language should have been spoken to you the day you started your period. Mm-hmm. And then you would find after a while you get the groove. And what I'm seeing with a lot of women is once you understand the nuances of these hormones coming in and out, you actually can really vary everything in your life to get the weight loss result you want, to get the fitness result you want, to get the brain result you want. But you, we we have to stop as women looking for that one diet that we're going to do at the same way or that one workout or the one fast all cycle through. Yeah. Part of why we have a, an obesity problem we haven't been able to solve is more than just the horrible food industry. It's that women still think there's one diet that's going to help me lose weight. And what I'm hoping with Fast Like a Girl is that we're going to pair different foods with different length fasts so that women can start to see that there's an ebb and flow to this that really with no better way to say this than you can eat your cake and have it too, mm-hmm. as long as it's gluten-free and doesn't And have in the luteal oil. phase of your cycle. <laughs> and, the, and the week before your period. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Well, and like so, to your point, so I want all the women that are listening, like just take, like be gentle with yourself. You're yes. going to learn your cycle if you don't already. And then you're even going to pull it out one more level. It's like, you're going to learn your cycle for what it is now and yes. how it might change because when you're in perimenopause, it changes. And then when you're in menopause, of course, it changes again. So there's a, there's a, there's a granularity to like understanding how it is now, but then also how it changes over the arc of your life as well. Yeah. There's right. Cause there's a monthly change and there's a life change, which I think is really important. The last thing I want to point out, and I, I don't think you and I've discussed this about, um, the manifestation phase is that I've thought a lot about what foods would be the best during this time. Hmm. And there's two things that I know need to happen for those hormones to be in the, her full glory. And that's that they have to be metabolized. They have to be broken down by the liver and the gut. 
So this is your time to come in with what we, what I call the three P's, you know, more polyphenol, more probiotic, more prebiotic foods. This is your time. If you, if you don't want to give up alcohol, then just give it up during manifestation slash ovulation window, because that's the time you need your liver to be able to break all these amazing hormones down. That would be your time to power up on your um, bitter foods and, and more of the, um, um, cruciferous foods that support liver function. So I, I'm working still, it's like in flux, but I'm working on, there is a unique um, set of foods that need to come in during this time because of the liver and the gut's ability to break down hormones. That was actually one of my questions. I'm so glad that you um, answered it because I think that what, you know, the golden rule of estrogen is use it and then lose it. So we have this like peak, we have this apex, you know, rise, this meteoric rise, if you will, um, in estrogen. And like, what do we do with it? Well, as you were saying, the cruciferous vegetables, the bitters, like we've talked, um, about cruciferous vegetables on the show in the past, they have diendylmethanes and sulforaphanes to make sure that your the diendylmethanes will actually reduce the total amount of estrogens you have. The sulforaphanes are really about uh, just making sure that you're kind of like on the right path, right? Like that you're, you know, detoxifying, but those also, to your point, also help uh, with liver function as well, which is yeah. primarily where we see metabolism of our sex hormones, estrogen in particular. And then of course, you're talking about the pre and postbiotics um, for the gut because we have yep. the estrobilome, which is like this sort of like little microcosm within the kingdom of the microbiome that is uh, dedicated, let's say, to metabolizing estrogen. And if you have... Um, uh, like lipopolysaccharides or beta-glucuronidase in particular is one enzyme that will actually, uh, you know, I think the word is deconjugate or unconjugate, like, you know, estrogens that have been sort of marked for excretion. Um, if you have too much beta-glucuronidase, which is an enzyme that exists in the estrobilome, if it's kind of out of control, then it's going to basically take that estrogen and stick it back into the system. So it's like, I always, whenever I'm teaching my um, healthcare practitioners, I always like liken beta-glucuronidase to like the toddler where you're like, are you sure you have to go, you don't have to go to the bathroom? And they're like, nope. And then like, you put on the snowsuit and you put on the hat and the mitts, and then you get in the car and what do they do? Mommy, I have to go to the bathroom. So what do you have to do? You have to go back inside and take it all off. And then they're back Back in the house again and you have to do the whole thing over again. That's what beta-glucuronidase does. It's like a toddler that's like, no, no, I don't have to go to the bathroom. And then like, you know, you it ends up, you I end up having to take it analogy. back again. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And, and I think that's to your point, like, let's put it into how would you know if you're not breaking down estrogen well? Well, are your breasts getting tender as you go into that premenstrual phase? Um, do you, are you putting on weight? Because if your body all of a sudden, are you bloated? If all of a sudden it can't get rid of that estrogen to your point, it's going to recycle it and it's going to get stored somewhere else. And it's going right. to go primarily to fat. So what we need to do is we need to make sure that we're really loving on the liver and we're supporting the gut during that ovulation time so that the back half can be much better. Let's coordinate all of this conversation with testosterone. We've been talking a little bit of testosterone, how it peaks pre-ovulation. Talk about sort of the rhythm of testosterone through the cycle, the impact that it has um, on our cognition, like all the things that it's famous for, and then how we can optimize for testosterone as well. Well, so the first aha I think everybody should have is you get testosterone in this manifestation ovulation window here, like you're getting the most there. 
you're not going to get it any other time of the month. I mean, you have little, little, it's not like it completely goes away. But once I, I, I saw that, I was like, wow, like if you're in a heterosexual relationship, it, you know, a man is getting testosterone every 15 minutes, which is why his libido is usually ready to go. But your libido is ready to go during this strange little five-day window. So for couples, heterosexual couples, I think it's really important to understand the impact this influx of testosterone can have. If you're in a same-sex relationship, then share your clue apps. Like figure out where you're, you're ovulating because the, as far as libido goes, the behaviors are going to be different. But again, I'm going to go to the perimenopause, postmenopausal women, that the one thing that just shocked me as I went through my 40s was how much the loss of testosterone made me no longer want to work out. Now, I was a competitive athlete. I played on a tennis scholarship in college. I love working out. It has been my drug of choice until I hit about 45 and then I did, it was like pulling teeth to go work out. And I didn't understand myself. That was really, really frustrating. So I've been working on how to bring testosterone up as much as possible because statistically, we're not supposed to, we don't have to lose testosterone as we go through the menopausal years. There are ways we can keep it higher. And I do believe fasting is one of those ways. If we had better research on women, I would know for sure. But I feel like we always look at testosterone as libido, but I really want women to understand it's motivation, it's drive, it's your desire to work out. How many women have you sat with that are like, I hate working out? And you could correlate that many times to a low testosterone pattern. So that those yeah. are kind of the highlights that I see. I'm so glad you bring this up because I think that not enough people talk about the impact that testosterone has on women. Like if right. you, if a, you know, if we talk about again, some of the biases that we have in, in medicine, if a man is like, I think I have low T it's like doctors are tripping over themselves with a TRT prescription. It's like, Oh, you need more tea. Here's, here's some testosterone. Yeah. But a woman, which by the way, this is the most, we have more testosterone than we do than estrogen. Like this is the, mm. in, in terms of concentration, we have more tea than we do eat. This is a very, I mean, it's, as you said, famous for libido, right? But also for mental clarity, as you were saying, confidence, risk-taking, strength, hair yes. growth, all of the things. Testosterone is integral to our personality. And yeah. so you were saying, you know, at 45, lost the drive, let's say, to work out. Like how catastrophic is that? Oh, Yeah. Or what about the drive to even complete a task? Right. You're like, I mean, I sit with so many women that are like, I have someday, like at 45, their kids are, are not needing them as much. And they're now looking forward at what's the career if they were a stay-at-home mom. They're like, mm -hmm. what's what do I want to do? But there's no motivation to do it if they don't have enough testosterone. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, I, I do believe testosterone really flourishes with more of an insulin sensitive in an insulin sensitive body. Um, so I do believe that when we can make sure that we're insulin sensitive, we're going to get more testosterone. 
But I think more importantly, we need to understand that when she goes away in a woman's body, so does our desire to do a lot of things in life. Mm -hmm. And we just become, I've, I've sat with so many women in the back half of their 40s that are just like, I'm not experiencing joy. I don't have any motivation. I can't sleep. I'm anxious all the time, but if you look at my life, it's perfect. But I'm not experiencing all the benefits that my life on paper is giving me. Right. And that is hormones and testosterone is a major part of that. God, my heart breaks for women like that. Right? God, it's so it's like it's just even upsetting to hear, you know, right. because I so okay, so for these women um who maybe are experiencing low testosterone. And the other thing too, I mean, I know we said it's famous for libido, but let's also just for a moment, I know you talk a lot about oxytocin in the book, how important it is to either be sexually connected to yourself if there's no partner or to you, or to your partner, right? Yeah. It is a, it's an important expression uh, and it's a, it's an important human expression and when we don't have those um you know contractions let's say that happen in the vagina in the perineum when you're orgasming, I mean it, it atrophies, right? And even yeah. like, you know, testosterone and estrogen I think I think you'll agree with me. Very similar, you know, when we're thinking about optimizing, you know, an environment for them, obviously I think protein is very important, but yes. it's the reduction of excessive carbohydrates because we know that when insulin is high, then we will also see sex hormone binding globulin, uh, which is the which is the uh, uh, protein that basically binds up sex hormones. Uh, when we see insulin is high, we will tend to see things like testosterone and estrogen higher than what they should be because SHBG is going to drop. And so the kind of the opposite is true. So when we see low, lower levels of insulin, which would happen in like kind of a lower carbohydrate environment, you are going to see a, an appropriate level, let's say, of testosterone and estrogen um, that are there. And yep. When you're not, when you're not like, you know, one of the best ways that you can release oxytocin, there's like part, it's, you know, sex with yourself, right? So masturbation with a, with a partner, you know, parent to child relationship often releases a lot of oxytocin or a pet, um, that kind of thing being in a community. So when we are, um, when we are regularly engaging in like, you know, talking about this in the, in the, from the lens of sexual health, like sexual activity, whether it's just us toys or like a partner or partners, um, this is also a really important way that we can, so we've, you've mentioned fasting, I would throw into the mix like sexual activity or healthy sexual behaviors that are going to contribute to the uh, maintenance, let's say, of testosterone. Yeah. Um, what are some other things that we might consider when we're thinking, okay, how do I optimize? Like that 48-year-old woman that's listening right now, and God, she's like, God, Mindy just described my life. Like my life is perfect on paper, but I have no motivation to do anything. What can that woman be doing right now? Like the first little step that she can do to start moving towards increasing and optimizing her testosterone? Well, what's really interesting is that low testosterone in both men and women comes down to one very specific toxin called phthalates. So, and phthalates are in a lot of beauty products. They're in a lot of commercial, commercial meats. They're, they are, you know, sprayed in, and dumped into our water. So making sure you have filtered water. So when you ask me what that woman can do outside of getting herself insulin sensitive, I really recommend that at 48, you should be looking at your toxic load. Like if you haven't changed your makeups, if you're not eating organic, 
if you take the the glide plug-in that's in your house the christmas tree air freshener that's in your car your favorite perfume that you've worn for 30 years that you buy at macy's all of those are high in phthalates and they're they're tanking your testosterone so outside of fasting outside of maximizing oxytocin to your point through human connection we with testosterone more than any other a hormone needs a, a, de- a good old fashioned detox because it's those toxins that really tank testosterone. Yeah. I've often found that low testosterone is often not ever just low testosterone. There's always like other things that are going on that are driving it to be low, whether it's like insulin dysregulation or, you know, toxins, as you're mentioning, um, where does, um, you know, and you know, my bias here, uh, so I will state it that I have a bias for lifting weights. Um, where does resistance training play into the perimenopausal woman or the menopausal woman's life when we're thinking about testosterone optimization? Well, and to your point, and I, I still think I, mean, I might be a little biased, but I think the last Ask Me Anything we did was pretty damn good. <laughs> yes, I'll and link every, to it. We'll link to it in the show notes. So you can great. all listen to that So yeah. anything you need to know about uh, working out around your cycle, I feel like we did a really good job there. Yeah. But here's what I want women to know, especially perimenopausal women, about uh, about muscle building. When you build muscle, what happens is you you are creating more insulin receptors in that muscle itself. So you be, make yourself more insulin sensitive. So it's going to help with overall regulation of the insulin glucose system, which, as we already discussed, helps testosterone. The second thing that we know about weight training is that as a woman goes into those perimenopausal years, those ovaries start to hand over the job of making sex hormones to the adrenal glands. And the adrenal glands, if they're already overworking and they don't have enough help to be able to make those sex hormones, they start breaking muscle down in order to get the amino acids that it needs to be able to make those sex hormones that you need. So you start losing muscle. And I can tell you as an athletic 52-year-old woman, I had to freaking fight like crazy for muscle throughout my 40s, whereas I could look at a barbell in my 30s and I would build muscle. So we've got to look at, as we go through those perimenopausal years, your muscle strength is so massively important. And then the last thing that I would say to your point that I've been really geeking out on is this idea that why do we have a weekly training program for women. We should have a monthly training program. Amen. Can I get an amen? Yes. Keep going. Yeah. And so then when testosterone comes in, lift some heavy shit. Mm -hmm. Like, and maybe it's on Monday, you do arms and on Tuesday, you do legs and on Wednesday, you do abs and, you know, like stop, don't be doing your, don't be a cardio bunny during that time. You have all this testosterone, use it to build muscle. Your weightlifting efforts will be more successful in that five-day period than any other time. Yes. And I will make sure that we link out to the, uh, to the AMA that we did on training. I could not agree with you more like lift. I mean, I think you should always be lifting heavy, but what heavy means is going to be relative to where you are in the cycle. So that peak week kind of, so to speak, right? Like that's week two is when you really should like put down the pink two pound dumbbells, ladies, like pick up 
pick up the big, like it's time for the big guns, put on your big girl pants and right. go lift as heavy as you can, because yeah. that is really when you can maximize, uh, you know, under that heavy tension. And of course there's like different techniques and different ways you could do it, but the more mechanical tension and time under tension, um, that you can put that muscle in that period of time, you will absolutely maximize hypertrophy of the muscle, which is what you want. You want the muscle yeah. to grow. Uh, of course, you can do that throughout the cycle, but not all cycles are the same. And you have to modif- modify the way that you're like what heavy means. So for me in that week two, heavy means like five to seven reps. Like I cannot do more than seven reps Perfect. with that particular weight. But in week one, let's say the week right before heavy might mean 10, right? right? 10 reps. I can do 10 reps really well. 11 is like, iffy 12 is like, I'm going to lose my form and I'm going to hurt myself. And then, you know, in that week before I bleed, so like pre, uh, like that week four of your cycle, you know, heavy for me is something that I can punch out somewhere between 50, 15 and 30 times. So you can already see that those weights are going to be different, right? But I'm still working the muscle almost to muscle fatigue, not to muscle fatigue, because that's, you know, if we're talking about progressive overload, like you're never going to progress if you're so sore for days that you can't actually like get back in the gym, right? We want to be moving the muscle almost to fatigue, like, you know, two or three reps away from fatigue. um, And then, uh, and then, and then sort of modulate, you know, as you, as we've been talking about, like the food and the fasting and the training over the course um, of the cycle. So I love what you just said. I mean, I've, I've, I wrote a book about that, about like changing, you know, changing right. the way we train and we eat over the cycle. So I, I'm absolutely in agreement with you there. It shouldn't be yeah. a weekly training session. Um, and I think personal trainers and, and people who are coaching and seeing uh, patients, you know, female patients and female clients really should understand, uh, should understand this. And I think I've told this to you as well. Even when I was in practice as a chiropractor, I started changing the way I was adjusting my patients based on where they were in their cycle. Like there was like less, let's say rotary breaks, or there was less, you know, certain cervical adjustments, let's say that I would do for women when they were, when estrogen is peaking versus like other times of the cycle because of the effect that it has, let's say on ligaments and, and tendons and stuff. Yeah. And the other thing is that to your point on soreness, when testosterone's high, we become, we recover from those heavy workouts much better. Right. And you just talk to any perimenopausal woman that's losing testosterone. You'll often hear like, I'm so sore after my workout. For that's, days, like yeah. for like w- long past what it should, like what the delayed onset of muscle soreness would predict. Yep. You'll have them out for a week, let's say. Yep. Yeah, yep. I see that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a sign of low testosterone. Mm-hmm. So if you have all, you know, you have all this testosterone, go into the gym, maximize your weights. You're going to recover better. You're going to build muscle better. Now you're making yourself more insulin sensitive. And so you're going to come out of that ovulation time ready to go for the next part of the cycle. Mm-hmm. And again, it's, you know, like when you and I talk about it, I'm like, why did it take till 2022 for women to talk about this? Right, right. And to the personal trainers, or if you have a personal trainer, don't let them obliterate your legs or your upper body. Like don't do, don't do 400 sets of something. Like they're just doing that to impress you. Like the idea of progressive overload is to progress, (laughs) right? Right. Like as the name suggests, right? We don't want to be out of commission for a week. So if you're seeing that, like you're so, and so like the testosterone, I would also be thinking about thyroid, which I know we don't have time to get into, but if someone is really, really sore, uh, I'd be like, okay, I want to know how her thyroid's functioning. And I want to also take a look at her, like I'll do a Dutch to see what her testosterone levels are like. 
Yeah. 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 I keep waiting for some personal trainer. I mean, I know you, you wrote about it in your book and I keep waiting for some personal trainer to stand up and be like, Hey, I've got a formula for women for a 30 day mm-hmm. cycle. Yeah. And it's called yet- fast, like a girl and the Betty body. <laughs> That's right. Combine. Yeah. Combine. Oh my God, we need like a, so fast like a girl in the Betty body went out to lunch together. (laughs) Here's what they created. They created this like powerhouse 48 year old woman by combining these two theories. Uh, Dear 40, dear 48 year old women, we got you. We got you. So where, where can people find fast like a girl? Is this like all stores online? Like tell people where they can find and buy the book. Yeah. So the best place to go is fastlikeagirl.com and all the outlets will be there. Uh, It should be on everything. I mean, it should be in all the major stores and it will, you know, Amazon's a lot of where people go, but uh, there are also other great like Barnes and Noble, Target. We got them all covered. And like any mom pa shops, if any of them pick up, support your local mom pa shop as well. Yes. Yeah. yeah, Please, if you have a, a, a local bookstore, please go and buy it there because we do want to we do want to support our local stores. In fact, I've been thinking about going um, to the my local store here in Northern California and just signing some of the books and like slipping them back into oh. the uh, just to support and and make sure that people don't forget about those real retailers because it's really important to keep those alive. Absolutely, Mindy, it's always a pleasure. I can't. Like we've been chatting now for it's going on on 90 minutes now. Uh, just time flies by when, like totally when I'm does. with you. Yeah. So thank you so much. Congratulations oh, on the new book. I am just you. so stoked. I will be supporting it, posting about it on social. Um, and yeah, we'll talk very soon. Yeah, thank you. And again, have me back. I, I let, There's more to talk about. So, so much more. Always, thank always, Thank you for always. having me. Appreciate you. All right. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And I must give you the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer here. This podcast, Better with Dr. Stephanie, is for general information only. And the advice, recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare provider's advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship that has been formed and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. In other words, guys, be smart about this. Take it with a grain of salt. Take this information to your primary healthcare provider and have a discussion with him or her to make the best choice that is for you. Remember, I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. And these conversations are meant for educational purposes only. 